We've been in a series called A People Who Transform, and it's been a critical series for us as a community because this is not just um, a, a regular teaching series. This is a little bit more uh, about who we are and who we want to be moving forward as a community. And I've been making the case that one of the things that has been frustrating um, about the contemporary Protestant evangelical church is that it lacks a clear working theory of transformation. And something that, like a, a theory that kind of works that is, has some practices that are easily accessible for those of us who want to change, those of us who want to grow. And I think a lot of times, if, you're, if we're honest, there's a, a kind of an idea that, um, you know, the most important thing is conversion. And after that, everything else is just kind of gravy. Uh, conversion, I am, I'm convinced that there is beautiful beauty in conversion, that that is a starting place for humans to, to surrender themselves and, and, in a sense, pledge their allegiance to Jesus as the Lord and, and Savior of their, of their lives, of, of our world. But there's something that I think many Christians miss, and that is this idea of further healing, further transformation. And we want to be a community that kind of leans into that. Uh, I've been playing around with this line that says this. I believe that discipleship to Jesus is the joyful relearning of what it means to be human. And this is week three. We kicked off with kind of an overview. Uh, last week, we talked about like the, the glue uh, and the importance of community, that we're actually brothers and sisters, um, and, and we are a family, and part of that family dynamic is being obligated to each other and, and, and helping each other flourish and becoming more like Jesus. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about truth, um, that Jesus is the truth and that there is a deeper truth about who we are as human beings. And pursuing that is part of what it looks like to transform. But today we're going to talk about practice. And we've been asking the question of what are some potential practices, what are some things that we can try on as followers of Jesus that will help us to really transform, to heal, to change. Remember, there is something that happens to us just by the mere fact that we're human beings. We're all being formed. And so how do we recognize uh, the transformation that happens to us in the inertia of the culture we live in, um, because I think all of us are being formed. I think studies show that if you don't uh, push into um, intentional formation, that you're just, in a sense, open to unintentional formation. And that's what we're after. We're after... Uh, a better future, a better way of, of engaging the world that we live in, engaging our lives, our families, our spouses, engaging our careers, our money, our habits more intentionally. 
but we're not there yet. And this is what we're after, but we're, there's, there's never a sense that Jesus says, okay, you're done, you're good. Um, you just put, push the easy button, set the cruise control, and I'll see you when I see you. I think a lot of us, if we're really honest, we're stuck in some addictive patterns. We're stuck in some dysfunctional patterns, and we are products of some emotional pain in our lives. And it's not that we don't want to change or that we're not even trying to change. We just don't know how to change. And so here's a definition of formation. Um, Then we'll get into some scripture. This definition, uh, I think, is a really good one. It says this, spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. And the thing we just really need to recognize is that formation is not a Christian thing. It's a human thing. We are environmental sponges. We're all being formed. We're all being shaped. The question is, and this is the key question for us, who are we being shaped into or what are we being shaped into? So in Mark chapter 1, um, this is, kind of falls in this larger teaching of, of Jesus announcing the kingdom of God. It says this in verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, the kingdom of God is this um, beautiful uh, metaphor, this beautiful idea that Uh, The way the world works right now is not how God intended. But there is a place where God's will is being done. And Jesus is announcing that that way, that that kingdom of God is now breaking into the world in which you and I live. And he, he uses this phrase, repent and believe. It, basically, this word repent, it sounds ominous. It sounds kind of, it's got like some, some baggage to it. But it's metaneo, which means to change your mind. And then he uses the word believe, which is to trust. Lunida says this, to change one's way of life as a result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. So to repent is to reimagine our lives around the kingdom of God. Reimagine our lives as if our lives are enveloped into the kingdom of God. And it would be fair to say that reimagination is the first step to transformation. Like you have to have like a picture of what your life needs to be like to, to function like. And I think that what we do here on Sunday morning is much of that in the sense of, yes, we gather together, we worship, we change our, we kind of rechange our priorities and our loves and our longings. But sometimes the act of teaching, the act of opening scripture and, 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 uh, and talking about it and chewing on it is an idea of reimagination to counter the stories that you and I normally live and believe. See, I think a, 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 a story replacement actually has, teaching has this way of 
re, um, reframing or giving us an alternate idea of the good life compared to the life that we're given on a daily basis. And the book of Romans talks about this. Paul talks about uh, in Romans 12 just to, to change our mindset. He talks about do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so for Paul, the, the first step to transformation is a renewal of the mind. It's a, it's a changing of our imagination. It's not a one-time thing. It's, it's actually something that we need to continually be in process about. Because I think Paul is, if you look at all his writings, Paul is literally obsessed with our thought life. 1 Corinthians 2, he says, but we have the mind of Christ. Later on in his second, his second letter to the Corinthians, he says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And in Colossians 3, he says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And it's just that phrase in and of itself is somewhat of a reimagination of how we live. Dallas Willard said this, he said, the process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively, progressively replacing destructive images and ideas with the images and ideas that have filled the mind with, of Jesus himself. Spiritual formation in Christ moves towards a total interchange of our ideas and images for his. All of us have this. We have destructive images and ideas. And they are really doing stuff to us. And the idea here in Dallas Willard is, is this idea of thinking God's thoughts after him. And today we talk about this, like science actually backs this up. That there's certain ways and pathways in which you and I think. And, and we, when we keep thinking those paths, we think, keep thinking those thoughts, they kind of create a well-worn path inside of our brains. It's neuroplasticity. The idea is neurons that fire together, wire together. Dr. Kirk Thompson talks about this in, in his books when he talks about what it looks like to follow Jesus in this idea of spiritual formation and our brains. And he talks about the fact that our, our brains are act, actually statistically more likely to fire in the same pattern the more we're activated. And so the networks of those neurons just begin to, there's a high probability that they, they fire in the same way or along the same bioelectric pathway to the end of the network. It's like hacking a trail in a jungle. The first time you do it, it's, it's difficult work. But when you do it again and again, soon there's this well-worn path and automatically you just take that route. That's pretty much the same thing with our thought life. And we all get stuck in some mental and emotional patterns and in our minds and our imaginations. It's just part of being human. And that's why we spend time teaching. That's why we spend time reading scripture. Because it takes a long time to rewire our brain. But all that is good, but we can't just think our way to being like Jesus. I mean, maybe you're deeply moved by the Spirit to change an area of your life. 
and you grit your teeth and you try really hard, but you quickly find yourself back in the old same pattern. What's the problem? Problem isn't knowledge. Problem just goes far deeper for many of us. The problem is that a lot of times we know something really well, but that's not the same as doing it, which is still not the same as wanting to do it. That's why all of us have gaps. James A.K. Smith, uh, in his book, You Are What You Love, said, said this. He says, we, what we love in our heart has a far greater influence on us than what we know in our heads. And that's why we need practice. That's why we need habits. Practice, you practice something because you're not good at it. But the hope is that one day, the more you practice it, it becomes something that you love, becomes something that you want to do. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's most famous teaching. And in it, it's amazing. There's so much great stuff in it. But at the beginning, at the beginning, at the end and at the beginning, Jesus talks about practice. He says this at the beginning of his teaching. Therefore, if anyone who is who sets aside one of these, another least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of God. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And you fast forward to the end of his teaching in Matthew chapter 7. It says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it has its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus actually bookends his most famous teaching with practice. And I, I just think Jesus assumes that the best way of life involves a lifetime of practice. That this isn't a hobby, but it's a focus. And, it, and the reality is, if we're just super honest, there's only a matter of time that, yes, we follow Jesus, we've surrendered our life to Jesus, but it's only a matter of time that all the anxiety and the patterns and the family of origin and the, the shame that just is in us just ends up spilling out on people around us. And some of you might be listening to this and, and, and listening to my words and just going, wait a second. I, I thought Christianity is, is, isn't about what you do, but it's about grace. And I would just counter that by saying, yeah, but... I mean, I guess what Bible are you reading? Because this isn't, um, this isn't about earning your salvation. This is an invitation to a better way to be human, to the kind of life that Jesus has on offer. I mean, the writer James in the New Testament talks about, he says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror 
And after looking at it, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. This idea that doing, we participate neck down in something that a lot of us know neck up. And so my contention is this. If we want to become like Jesus, we have to begin to adopt the lifestyle that Jesus lived. The practices of Jesus. The rhythm of his life. What do the practices do to us? Because here's the reality. The things that we do do something to us. What you do, what I do, we become. Not just through our mind, but through our heart. James A.K. Smith talks about the heart as the fulcrum of our most fundamental longings, a visceral subconscious orientation to the world. That things actually come out of our lives based on um, just some deep ways that we feel and think. Our church is offering an opportunity this fall. And Joanne Siebert is going to be leading a class. It's basically a nine-week book study uh, called Mansions of the Heart. And before some of you freak out that uh, it sounds... It sounds uh, syrupy and cheesy and maybe like a romance novel. It is not. It is a rewrite of a 16th century book written by Teresa of Avila. Her book was called The Inner Castle. And this book has a way of guiding us spiritual pilgrims into some deeper reflections in our own life and in our own soul. And this class is going to start. Here's the great news. We're going to be offering it on Sunday morning at 8 and then midweek on Wednesday night. And so if you miss one, you can come to the other. But here's the deal. We don't want you to treat this as kind of an arbitrary, well, I'll go if I can. We want you to commit to this. And we think that the community that will participate in this together will actually not only experience community together, but actually see the Holy Spirit work in and through each other. Now, here's the thing. Paul, the writer Paul, um, and a lot of the New Testament writers saw this whole idea of following Jesus And this whole possibility of transformation being rooted around discipline, like a whole life discipline. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, uh, Paul writes this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself 
may not be qualified, disqualified for the prize. So he equates this metaphor of following Jesus with something called the Isthmian Games. And if you lived in Corinth, you would understand these games. You would understand this very well. In Acts 20, 24, uh, he, uh, the, the idea is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. In Galatians 5, it says, you were running a good race. Who cut in to keep you from obeying the truth? He, Paul writes a letter to First Timothy uh, to Timothy uh, twice, and, and in the first one he says this: "But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Like, run from this and intentionally pursue this." And then he talks about in Second Timothy four, fighting the good fight, finishing the race. Over and over, there's this metaphor. It's like being an athlete and that there's discipline to being an athlete, that all athletes in verse 25, all athletes are disciplined in their training and the goal is to be a disciplined one. You see, discipleship to Jesus, apprenticeship to Jesus is something that you do with your whole self, with all that you are. And that's why practices are really important. Some people call these the spiritual disciplines. Here's a definition. Practices based on the lifestyle of Jesus that create a time and a space for us to access the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and in doing so be transformed from the inside out. Now, there's no official list but we get a sense of this list uh, of, of what it might entail just from the life of Jesus. Prayer, silence and solitude, fasting, scripture, community, Sabbath, gathering, the bread and the cup, worship through singing, confession, serving, gratitude, grieving, celebration, and living simply. The whole point of a discipline is that a discipline is an activity that I can do by direct effort that will eventually enable me to do, which currently I can't do by direct effort. So it's kind of like, um, well, it's kind of like working out. It's kind of like, you know, all these things that that we see in our lives around us. A discipline, a spiritual discipline is, is a way to access the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is how we engage in our own transformation. We partner with God to change. We make space for intentionality. We are living in the wake of something called the Protestant Reformation. And in some ways, the Protestant Reformation is kind of this overreaction to a works-based religious structure. But the early church never had that problem. The early church, uh, they called themselves practicing the way. 
And really, the disciplines were uh, a beautiful thing, um, a, a, a way of reorienting their loves and their longings to to live in a time that was very much around emperor worship and around Caesar and all the other gods. It was a way of 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 ingesting the teachings and the and the lifestyle of Jesus into their lives. Now, for most people, I am. I come across people aren't um, worried about whether they're um, earning their salvation or not. Um, it's just not an issue for post, most people I know. For most of us, we're just we're sucked into hedonism, digital distraction, consumerism, isolation, individualism. We're, we're, there's so much around us. We just have to come to grips with the fact that we have a part to play in our own transformation. You and I already have the Father's love. We're already adopted into the family of God. We have this relationship with God on offer. And and me and God both have parts for my transformation. Um, I'm given a responsibility to, to push into some new rhythms and disciplines to open myself up to the power of the Holy Spirit to um, illuminate and to heal and to challenge me. But ultimately, God does the heavy lifting. And it's that old saying, without him, we can't. Without us, he won't. So the spiritual disciplines or the practices of Jesus are a part of that relationship. And and the reality is, if you find Jesus compelling, I mean, maybe maybe you're really just thankful for the forgiveness, uh, for the death of Jesus, breaking the power of sin in your life, victory over the grave, beautiful, uh, unbelievable stuff. But the rest of Jesus' life was actually fascinating. He was never in a rush, never sucked into arguments or disagreements. Or He was marked by love and courage and power and authority. He loved people that people told him he shouldn't. He stood up for things that people couldn't believe. And, and the reality is I want to experience that kind of life. Not that I'm going to sit around and try really hard. I think ultimately it's about about training really hard. So I've been on a journey. Um, The last few weeks we've we've had an interview. We're going to have an interview next week. But this week I'm going to interview myself. (laughs) And and that sounds a little narcissistic or whatever. But many of you know that I've been on a journey. And one of the things that I've been doing is seeking um, an inner stillness in my life. And it turns out that filling every waking moment with sports radio and podcasts and music and um, to-do lists and filling every moment of space in my calendar with things I can, I can accomplish. 
And many of you guys know this, I'm a list guy, and I'm one of those list guys that when I do something that's not on my list, I write it on my list just so I can cross it off. And I tend to cross it off with a big, huge, thick marker that smells really, uh, really intense. But I began to realize that I was actually not flourishing that I was not living the, the fully human life that God intended me to live. And so I started playing around with this a rhythm of Sabbath in my life. Not as a legalistic thing, but as a freedom thing. And then my end of the week Sabbath routine is not uh, perfect. Um, I don't nail it every single time. I'm not even that good at it. Remember, I talked about practice. Practice is something you do uh, for something you're not good at. And I'm not good at resting. I'm not good at it. I would much rather just keep accomplishing things. I love to feel capable. I love to have a good-looking yard. I love to make people happy. I love to fix things that are broken. But I came to realize that I cannot do it all. And that the act of Sabbath, the rhythm of Sabbath, the practice of Sabbath was a way for me to remind myself that God is in control, that I am finite, that I have limits. And I'm finding, re I'm finding real growth and real healing and real rest. See, I think life flows out of training and not trying. And this idea of following Jesus is not cliche. It's not sentimentality. It's a, it's a clear, concise way of living like Jesus. And the goal isn't to be better humans. Actually, the goal is Jesus. James A.K. Smith actually put out something called a habit audit which we have um, tweaked and made available for you as a church. And so my encouragement to you would be to take some time with this, to, to notice some patterns in your life, that the things you are doing matter because those things are doing something to you. And how could we curate our lives and our hearts around some rhythms that allow space for the Holy Spirit to do some real work in us? See, I, I have a feeling that the more we practice something, the more we're going to want to do that thing. And the more you practice prayer and gratitude and solitude, on and on and on, the more you're going to want to do that. And the less you practice, the more you're going to be formed. And I'm going to be formed unintentionally. And we desire to be people who change. People who transform. Let me pray. God, thank you for an opportunity to live a flourishing life.
we trust in Jesus. We trust in what Jesus has done for us. We trust that Jesus came to be with us. Came to be a sacrifice broken for us. Rescuing us, saving us, conquering sin and death. And that Jesus' life has some beautiful keys for how we can experience life on this side of resurrection. God, give us the courage. Give us the community. Give us the intentionality to to try something, to try on a practice, to evaluate our lives and the habits and the rhythms that we currently have and ask the question, God, where do you want to meet me? Where am I opening up space for you to meet me, to shape me, to heal me, to challenge me? Because you are a loving God and you want to flourish through your people. We pray these things in your name. Amen.